Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome into the Sox on Tap post game show. Johnny Nani here alongside NWI Steve. We've got a double header discussion here, Twin Bill for the Sox in KC, and our guy NWI Steve was out in KC. Steve, how was it today? Hey, yo, Johnny. It was a long day at the ballpark, uh, about you know nine hours in total between the two games. Uh, but I can't say that. I could have asked for a better day weather-wise to spend at the ballpark. Only thing that could have made this better is if the Sox would have pulled off the comeback here in game two, but we'll get into all that. Yeah, yeah, plenty to discuss. I know you've got some hot dog reporting too um, because they still have dollar dogs here, which I guess that's something good, but I hear you have some. Uh, in this economy? Yeah, yeah, in this economy. Uh, I hear you have some uh, commentary, though, uh, to get to for for the uh, um, you know quality of the hot dogs there as well. So we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but obviously uh main topic here is double hundred discussion. White Sox uh, taking the first game by a score of three to nothing and then dropping uh, the nightcap by a score of two to one um, had a chance to come back in that one. So it does kind of sting leaves us where we're at Steve, but uh, I think we should start from the beginning and it was cease the seize day, uh, cease the day. He did just that man. Uh, White Sox pitching as a whole granted got a little chippy at times, it is a job. No runs for KC in the first game. Yeah, Dylan really went out there, rebounded off of the performance against the Yankees on Thursday. Went out there five and two-thirds of scoreless ball, had the nine strikeouts. So once again, had a real nice combination going with the fastball, sinker, slider. Um, wasn't sprinkling in the changeup as much um, from my perspective here as we saw in that last outing against the Yankees overall. But once again, just... Another rock-solid performance out of Dylan Cease doing what we have seen from him for the majority of the season, putting this team in a position to win and looking dominant at times doing it. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Uh, when you talk about looking dominant at times, uh, these strikeout numbers are just getting gaudy. I mean, it's like nine here. He had 11. I know he had 11 in that one against New York, but I'll take this one, uh, you know, uh, just with the outcome that the White Sox were able to get here. Dylan Cease picking up the win uh, 4-1 now on the season for him. But, dude, I need to start. I think we need to call him the escape artist a little bit. And it wasn't that he was getting in major, major jams, but there were multiple instances. What, first inning, what, third inning, uh, fourth inning, um, and then a fifth inning one where he's just slamming the door on these guys after runners get to uh, third base or second and third in some cases. And the common victim in most of those situations was Ryan O'Hearn. I well, think there was on his by himself today. Yeah. So <laughs> I think they were going to get one. Yeah. There were three different instances when O'Hearn came up, I believe with runners on uh, either second or third and had an opportunity to put the Royals on the board and Cecil was able to punch him out each time. So that was very important. And then um, same thing with Sal Perez when, when he was still in the game um, in the first part of the twin bill there, Cecil was able to wiggle around and, and make Sal Perez look pretty bad, made that back look pretty slow 
in a couple of at bats, getting some key strikeouts there to, like you said, wiggle out of some jams. Yeah, and I one uh, instance he did get help too. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, four because this is kind of a momentum. Talk about momentum in a baseball game. Uh, this is where the momentum shifted, and KC has a chance to score, strike first in the bottom of the fourth inning, and uh, just a terrible send uh, on Isbell's single uh, that ends up. Did uh, Joe McEwen get traded mid game that, that we didn't know about? I saw you put that out there, and it legitimately looked like it. Um, I honestly I could not tell you off the top of my head. I don't know who the Kansas City third base coach is, but it really did look like Super Joe. And unfortunately, we've got a Super Joe incident to get to from game two here. So Dylan needs a little bit of help there. But Steve, White Sox able to turn that around. I like, you know, being opportunistic. Well, guess what? Uh, they weren't able to capitalize on theirs, but the White Sox did the next inning when uh, McGuire gets things going with a double. Harrison walks, uh, wild pitch advances him. Anderson gets hit. Pollock sack fly brings home the first run would be the only one that they need. But I think what everybody was excited to see was Jose Abreu coming up big spot RBI double, just lace that thing. Um, Looks like he's got his head back on his shoulders now. Yeah, that's very important for this team here. Last couple of games uh, seems as if Jose is maybe starting to break out of that funk a little bit. Um, I think he had what, what do you have two hits in in the game yesterday, and then obviously this big uh, two run RBI double that really helped kind of put the game away here. I, I know it was a little bit hairy there in the eighth inning, um, thanks to thanks to Joe Kelly, but oh, yeah. you know that um, that that's the type of stuff that you expect to see from Jose Abreu when he, he has opportunities to drive in runs and help give this team a little bit of a cushion that they desperately needed. Yeah. And, and I think uh, the approach too has been better too. And we're talking about Jose Bree finally uh, willing to, if the other team's going to give him something, he's willing to take it. And that's uh, I'm talking about walks there. Uh, he had one in this first game uh, of the double hundred day. I believe he had two last night, two hit performance again uh, in this game here. So um, you got comment here from Sockside Mike. Pito is going to start to mash his attitude. has completely changed over the last week in the dugout. I think you can see that. And uh, he was out of game two. He was in front of the camera, uh, annoying the coaches, uh, wanting to get back out there. But, Steve, something that we discussed on Sunday Funday, I'm glad he sat out game two. We'll get a little bit more into the construction and stuff from that. But I was uh, glad to see him finally get a day, uh, a game off there because I think it can only help him uh, in the long run. Steve, before we finish up game one commentary, you, you talked about things getting a little bit hairy uh, later in the game. So uh, Bennett Souza comes into relief, cease after five and two thirds, gets his guy, no problem there. And then Joe Kelly in to start the seventh and double, walk, walk, and then Ethan Katz makes a mound visit. I'd been questioning. I was like, does Ethan Katz even talk to his relievers? Well, apparently he does, because Joe Kelly responds then with uh, two strikeouts and inducing a pop-out there. Uh, Huge, huge for him to bounce back, I think, for morale, confidence, and I also think uh, all of White Sox uh, fandom would have jumped off the deep end had he not. Yeah, that was a very important outing by Joe Kelly being able to wiggle out of that self-inflicted jam. Uh, that he put himself into there. We've been talking about this ad nauseum through the first 36 games of this season. The relievers are frequently putting themselves in a bad position by issuing free passes. And it's only just a matter of time until that comes back to bite him in the ass. I mean, we saw that happen to Joe Kelly the other night against the Yankees. He was fortunate enough that this Kansas City Royals lineup is not one that is on par with – you know, a team like the Yankees and some of the other powerhouses in the American League. So he was able to work through that. But the moral of the story is here, you got to throw strikes. You got to work ahead of guys. And you can't continue to be giving guys free bases with regularity because ultimately it's going to come back to get you in the end. 
Yep, I agree 100%. We had a question here uh, from Soxide Mike. Should we be slightly concerned about Kelly, or is he kind of cold still? I'd like to hear your take because I got a little <laughs> thoughts on it too. I, I think with him in particular, you know, he did have the injury in spring training. You know, Lee, classic White Sox signing a guy that is immediately hurt right out of the shoot there. So seeing him miss the first month of the season and having that ramp up period there, I don't care what anybody else says. If you're a longtime major leaguer and if you're a guy that has really reached that veteran level status, I find it hard to believe that he's going to have that same level of adrenaline pitching in AAA Charlotte versus what it's going to be when you're coming into a tight spot against the New York Yankees or in a close one-two run game against a divisional opponent. So I think there probably is still a little bit of a ramp up period involved here, but at the end of the day, he's got to throw strikes. It's just that simple. He can't afford to be going out there consistently, falling behind guys 2-0-2-1-3-1. We saw that um, during his time with the Boston Red Sox. So this is something that isn't out of the realm of norm for him, so to speak, but it's something that definitely has to get cleaned up here going forward. And I want to just preface this because I remember what, this is probably only the third outing for Kelly, right? I want to say only his third outing here for the White Sox. If you remember the first one, everybody got excited because it went swimmingly and it went quick, but that's not always going to be the case. A and then B, uh, you really saw the location, uh, the command start to suffer in uh, obviously part of the meltdown one previously, and then the almost one uh, here uh, today. So I would chalk it up as like you had said, still a bit of a ramp up period. So um, just wanted to clear that up uh, for that. Thanks for that question, Sockside and Mike. Um, all right, as we look uh, at the very back end of the bullpen, though, hey, no drama in the eighth and ninth, thanks to Jose Ruiz, who's carved out a nice role for himself there so far, and then uh, Liam Hendricks uh, looking like the reliever of the year type that we know he can be. Yeah, Jose Ruiz going out there, doing uh, doing a real nice job, getting a one, two, three, eighth inning. That's That's a nice momentum builder. For him, and and you're right, he is a guy that has been pretty maligned by the fan base. By and large, he's done himself a pretty good job throughout the course of this season. And even if you go back to to last year, you know there were certain instances where Tony gave him an opportunity to earn a higher leverage role, and he ultimately didn't succeed in those. And you know what? That's okay. Sometimes that happens. As a manager, you have to challenge guys at times when they earn that opportunity. Sometimes they're going to falter. Yeah, that's just I, that's just part of it. When it comes to Jose Ruiz, I really like I saw uh, James Fegan reshared his story. I had seen it over the offseason, but it was something that Jose Ruiz really worked on. And it was really putting himself mentally and physically uh, in those positions when, when he's going to be in that high leverage. stuff. So, so whatever it may be, however, you know, you uh, simulate that uh, when you're doing workouts or spring training situations, maybe just taking it more seriously than you would instead of just like getting your work in. But either way, it's working for him now and you're seeing the results. So um, I, I'm happy to see that from Jose Ruiz. It's nice to uh, have those one, two, threes, especially after you get a scare like we did with Joe Kelly. And then uh, I don't think much needs more needs to be said about uh, Liam Hendricks. Sure, he let up the single there uh, to start his inning, but then, you know, gets pop out, strike out, ground out. That's what we expect from uh, your big money closer, right? <laughs> yeah, if, if you're going to spend $60, $70 million on a relief pitcher, that's the type of outing that you need to see with consistency. And we haven't seen a it, – they've been sporadic at times this year. And when he gets on those rolls, you know, we saw that you talked about this on, on several of the post games. 
You go back May and June of last year when he was reliever of the month and just going yeah. there mowing down guys. He's very capable of getting on one of those runs and seeing this type of performance on a night in night out basis. And that would really help to shore things up for this bullpen, which has been very inconsistent throughout the course of the season. Yeah, right. If I've mentioned those trends before, I believe it was a rough April with like five home runs a lot. Absolutely lights out May reliever of the month uh, in early June and then started falling off. So um, if he's on that same trajectory, at least we still have got a few more weeks of uh, lockdown Liam at the end of games. So I like to see that. Steve, one of my only gripes here about game one is just, you know, this is going to be a theme that will carry over into game two. It's just uh, it, the lack of uh, quantity when it comes to offense. And it wasn't it wasn't for lack of uh, chances in game one i know game two might be a different story but uh you left 17 runners on base you're one for seven with runners in scoring position now on the flip side uh that kansas city was even worse with 29 geez like we talked about with O'Hearn eight uh, left on of his own but still i'd like to see them there were multiple instances of like an early you know either a leadoff walk or a leadoff hit and then uh you'd waste it right after and then or a one out i consider those two one out. those are situations where at least make it competitive at least get them over and make it feel like you're going to score um it was basically only in that uh third inning there or excuse me uh in the fifth inning when the white Sox did their damage that it ever felt like they were going score in that game very common theme from this team so far here in 2022 through 36 games not capitalizing not being opportunistic when they have opportunities to either just get on the board initially or to put some distance between themselves and their opposition i don't know what it's going to take for this ultimately to change but you're not going to win a whole lot of games scoring three runs and if that is going to be a regular theme, if this is what this team is going to be as this season drags on, the amount of strain that you're putting on this bullpen and this pitching staff right now, that is going to have a cumulative effect come August and September when the games are of critical importance because the schedule just shortens at that point. Everybody can say all they want about, you know, there's 130 games left or, or you know, however many it is at, the, at this point. The fact of the matter is with each day off the schedule, that schedule shortens a little bit. And like I said, come August, September, this bullpen has an opportunity to be really taxed, and that could be problematic down the road here. So these bats really got to get going. It would be very nice to see them actually have go out there and have a couple of blowout wins. Yes. That, and you're you're playing a team like Kansas City right now. I'm gonna I'm sorry, this team is dog shit. Yes. You should be going out there and you should be stepping on their fucking throats and burying them. Yes. Thank you, Steve. I was about to get in that. It would be nice to have a comfortable win just for once. And shit. Uh, yeah, I would love a blowout too, like going up in like double digits. Um, don't get me wrong. But even just a nice, like, I would take a nice seven to one win. That would be nice at this point. I can't do these, like, you know, within when we were within like three there, that that's still kind of the danger zone for me because you see, like in uh, Monday night's game, how quickly that can just evaporate, right? So I agree with you, and this is a bad team. You should be stopping them. Uh, it's one thing if you're, you know, like we're going to go and play the Yankees here. And shit, I'll take, you know, whatever, uh, one run, two run wins over that uh, weekend series when we come up here. But it seemed like this, and we talked about it, you know, taking care of business in the division. Uh, this is a team that you should be kicking to the curb, 100%. Very well said, Counselor. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Game two, Steve. Uh uh Interesting setup here uh, with this one. Guy making an MLB debut, but hey. Shout out to Davis Martin because this guy 
didn't really know what to expect from him unless you've really, really been uh, on him in double A where he started the year and then came up to triple A. Uh, but he did the job tonight. Steve gave him a chance to win five innings, five hits, one earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts. I was impressed with that. Um, there was a little bit of hard contact early in the game, but hey, uh, overall, that is pretty damn solid for an MLB debut. You will absolutely take that anytime you get a player stepping onto a major league mound for the first time, whether it's against a team like the Kansas City Royals or the New York Yankees. It doesn't matter because I don't care who you are. You have to be nervous the very first time you step on that mound and take that ball. And that first inning command was was a little bit erratic, running some deep counts. And um, you know, I think he threw maybe 22, 23 pitches after that inning. And I was like... I don't know how much they're going to ultimately be able to get out of him here tonight. And then he really rebounded nicely after that and was very aggressive in the strike zone, going at guys and just really having a command and having a presence out there on the mound. And that's the type of thing that I I like to see. I talk about this all the time. For me, pitching is a lot about mindset and it's about mentality that when you go out there, when you take that ball, you got to believe that you're the baddest motherfucker on the planet. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if Mike Trout's in that in that batter's box. It it doesn't matter. You have to feel that you can get whoever you are facing out, no matter what. And you have to throw every pitch with conviction. And we started to see that second, third, fourth, fifth inning going there. And the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting that first inning, um, and I don't know if maybe there was a difference in the in the radar guns that were being shown on the broadcast versus what was being shown in stadium. First inning, he's 88 to 90 with the fastball. And then as the game's going on, he's really ramping up. And then obviously I think saw fourth, fifth inning, he's getting up to 95, 96 with it. So kind of seeing what we frequently saw out of a guy like Justin Verlander throughout various phases of his career where he will go and just ramp himself up as the game progresses. So that that I thought was pretty interesting. And overall, you just you have to be pleased with what you saw. Again, he put this team in a position to go out there and win a baseball game the first time he stepped on a major league mound, and that's really all you can ask for. I double what you had just said there at the finish line uh, of your comments, and then I also want to say that you can never have too much pitching depth. So now that you've had this guy up here, tested it out, that is a great card to have in your back pocket because let's be real, he's probably go- being the one going back down to uh, um, A when Lucas Giolito gets activated tomorrow, but that is great to know because there's going to be more double headers. Uh, there could be even more on top of that, depending on how weather plays out. You never know. Um, or chit, if you have a team like the guardians getting COVID again on you uh, and having you get postponed and then have a double header set up elsewhere. Uh, it is great to have that in your back pocket. So well done. Uh, Davis Martin deserves a round of applause from white Sox fans tonight. But Steve, the story of this one is lack of offense, man. We harped on it. All Sunday Funday episode. That was we. I think we dedicated a good out of the hour long show we did. We dedicated a good forty eight minutes to the offense on that show about it. And Steve, it's the same problems that we're talking about. No walks, six one two three innings in this one. Uh, granted, you could go and pick the lineup construction if you want, but like I said, I'm okay with Jose Abreu taking a day off. I'd probably like to see Tim Anderson still in there too. Um, but I get it. Your mainstays, regulars, lot on the legs. Uh, Tim's head few issues in years past uh, with some leg fatigue but man overall it's just it's disappointing I I agree that Ozzy was on the post game and he just goes and taps out the lineup and just reads the names there and the names that are still in there so take TA Jose out of it they were already out of it anyway 
that's a lineup that should still be beating this lowly Royals team. Piss poor at bats. Plain and simple. Not a single walk in nine innings. How that happens in the year of our Lord 2022, I don't understand. Again, I'm going to beat this point into the ground. This team just refuses to take pitches with consistency. They feel as though they have to swing the bat. Sure, it's helped them to be near the bottom of the league in terms of overall strikeouts, but they're hitting the ball on the ground a lot. They're hitting soft contact in the air. They're not driving the baseball. Something has to give here. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over, or doing the same thing and expecting different results, at what point is someone in that locker room, is someone in one of those hitters meetings going to say, enough is enough, we need to do something different because this shit isn't working? It, I I would love to be a fly on the wall, Steve, to actually hear when that moment occurs, and then see if you see tangible results uh, after that, or at least just a change in approach. And you know, um, I would, I don't know, man. It's just it's frustrating to watch because look at this. And okay, yeah, the White Sox racked up at five. Just uh, you know, excuse me, that was game one. Uh, they did have how many hits in game two here. Uh, I, for, I forget. I don't have that one up in front of me. But uh, overall, you, when you're only scoring one run there, um, and then you also kind of run yourself out of a potential uh, opportunity to score another one there, um, you're just throwing away uh, any opportunities that you do have. And you should just have more opportunities in general if you were to have a better approach there. But obviously, no, uh, that's not been the case as of late. Seven hits in the game, uh, too. So, um, Steve, let's and, talk. And, and what, what was it? Six singles? Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not going to win baseball games in 2022 with six singles. Yeah, uh, extra not, base. That's not, not how this game works anymore. Extra base hits are cool and tough. That's a th- that thing that's been established um, here on the show, and especially home runs. But you know, uh, guess what? When they did finally have an extra base hit, that was Pollock uh, in the top of the eighth inning, trying to get a late rally going. Here, he gets a one out double. Uh, Harrison singles gets Pollock over to third. Um, then angle kind of taps in, uh, RBI ground out, uh, gets Pollock home. So you got Harrison at second here, Steve, we got to talk about the situation. Um, Yohan Mankata steps up to the plate, hits a single opposite field, uh, to Andrew Benintendi out there and left, uh, Josh Harrison sent by Joe McEwing and thrown out pretty easily at home, even with, uh, Benintendi's weak arm, uh, bad send. Awful set. Absolutely atrocious set. You have to understand the situation. We can talk all we want about needing to be aggressive. Joe McEwing trying to manufacture something out of said aggressiveness. You don't do that with one of the few guys in this lineup that has been producing. You know, Luis Robert had his 14-game hitting streak snapped in game one of the doubleheader promptly went and got a base hit in his first at bat to start himself a new streak. He's been one of the guys that has been the most consistent in this lineup when he has been healthy. He obviously had that uh, scare with the groin pull, but when he's in the lineup, he's been producing. So the idea of taking the bat out of his hands in that situation just doesn't make sense to me. If if you're going to do that, it, you know, if you have Reese McGuire, coming up or if you have josh harrison 
coming up in, in that spot. And if you really want to take a gamble there, that's a different scenario there. Yes. Not with Luis Robert coming up. No, I agree 100% with that and the placement of it, too, because Yohan hit that ball pretty hard, and that's right at Benetti. Excuse me, Benintendi. Benintendi. <laughs> it needs to go. If it, if you get him moving, say, away, especially, especially if that thing goes towards the gap. Okay, I can see it, and guess what? If he makes a perfect throw and nails you, I'm more okay with that. But with, you got to – guess what? Joe has the view of both of them. He has a view of – it sets us out there, and it might be a little harder if you're judging in right field, but even then it should still be – it's all in front of you as a third base coach where you position yourself. You got to know. You got to see that and see how hard it was hit. And that's if it was a slower roller that got through there, maybe that's when you take an opportunity too because we saw – guess what, Benintendi uh, throw one that bounced about eight times uh, back when the Royals were uh, at guaranteed right field, right? We've seen that before too. So I think uh, in different there's a couple different scenarios in which I would – have the sun, but the one that we got today, which obviously resulted in out, was a bad sign. And I think that can put that discussion to rest. Gar? 100%. One of the things that my collegiate baseball coach, Steve Ruzic, used to talk about and drill into our heads all the time was knowing and understanding situations. Having an idea as far as what you are going to do if the ball is hit to you or if you're a base runner, if you're, if you're on the offensive side of the ball, what you're going to do in this situation to try to get an extra 90 feet to put this team in a position to score a run. Joe McEwing needs to be thinking along those same lines. He needs to be understanding where this team is at in the lineup. He needs to be understanding the speed of his runners on, on the base pass, understanding the arm strength of the opposition there. You got to take all those variables into account. Now, granted, that's a split second decision. Yes, that, that can be tough. And there's going to be plenty of times where he's going to make that gamble and it'll work. But again, you have to understand the situation right there with Luis Robert coming up in that spot. That is not the time to do that. Period. Yeah. Paragraph. I think, yeah, if Reese McGuire, Josh Harrison, Lurie Garcia are coming up, I'm more okay with it. That's. I think that's where we can uh, end that uh, discussion there. So, Steve, I guess one positive here is that you got your 27th man, so Kyle Crick, able to eat an inning here. You only had to use Tanner Banks. Um, so even though we are in this gauntlet amidst this, overall, I would say pitching didn't get too, too depleted. Um, things could have been worse, uh, definitely, in that regard. And there's still two more here with then with no off day uh, and a, you know, obviously a big series this weekend uh, in New York. So uh, th this one's disappointing. White Sox drop it two to one there. Um, Steve, you gotta before we get into this next game preview though, since you were there, this was the so it was a split double header, so you had to leave the ballpark, come back in, and the nightcap was the dollar dogs. So tell us about it. We got to hear the, the report from BBQ City about their hot dogs and the issues with them there. Okay, we talk a lot about the city of Chicago, the Chicagoland area, just the great food that we are hashtag blessed to have at our disposal on a daily basis. One of the things that I feel is being taken for granted is the quality and just the overall goodness of the all beef Vienna hot dog today at Kaufman stadium, dollar dog Tuesday, pork hot dogs. Now the average person might not think that's a big deal. But let me tell you, to a hot dog connoisseur like myself, to someone that takes the art of ingesting yeah. large quantities of encased meats very, very seriously, mind you, pork hot dogs, 
They ain't it. Okay. They are not on par with the deliciousness of the all beef Vienna hot dog. So next time you're at the, at the ballpark at 35th and shields and you take a bite into one of those glorious Vienna beef encased meats, really just sit back, savor the flavor and enjoy it. And don't take it for granted because trust me when I tell you I've been into every ballpark except for three across the country and a lot of them miss. And so don't take it for granted how good yeah, we, we have it. Yeah, that, that is what we, we absolutely do have some of the best food. Uh, beyond obviously hot dogs. Great there. When you're talking about just simple quality of that there, but then uh, beyond that too, plenty of great food offerings. So we get, we get a to- total final final on the hot dog count there. I only sure you still have to eat, so it's like more I, I, might not be as good. You still have to eat, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I only did four just because it okay. just yeah. it just wasn't gonna it just wasn't yeah. working for me today. Yeah, I, well, I, I, at least on the bright side, you only spent four dollars on that then, though. So that's, that's true. That's, that's true. That's that's okay. All right. Well, that's Steve. It's been uh, great having you out there, and uh, you, you're gonna be there for the rest of the series too, right? You're hitting all five. I will be. Here in BBQ City through Thursday, yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and you will be back on this post-game show tomorrow night. I will be taking the night off. Uh, you'll be joined by Tony, and then Tony and I will be back as you're coming on the flight um, back to the Chicagoland area for Thursday's show. So that's what you got here on Sox on Tap. Uh, for the White Sox on the field, Steve, we'll be getting to see Lucas Giolito make his return from the COVID IL. Uh, obviously, need to wait until tomorrow. They didn't make that move tonight. I'm sure, like I'd said. I would imagine uh, Davis is the one to uh, get the send down back to Charlotte there. But um, what do we expect in Lucas Giolito coming off? He said he did have COVID. It wasn't just a close contact or anything like that. So uh, Lucas Giolito coming off COVID IL starting and uh, Zach Grinky going for the Royals. Give me a matchup preview here, Steve. It's going to be kind of hard to say what to expect out of Lucas Giolito other than I'm not expecting a great deal of length. From him, And I think that's why it was particularly important that Davis Martin was able to go out there and give this team 15 outs. And then Tanner Banks was able to go out there and eat up a couple of innings so that you didn't tax this bullpen tremendously. Um, I would be honestly shocked if they get more than five innings out of Lucas Giolito. We haven't really gotten any indication as to what kind of symptoms he had associated with uh, this positive COVID test, how it has impacted him. You know, so it's it's just going to be a little bit hard to say, but I'm just not expecting much length from him tomorrow. So if he can go out there, give him five innings of shutout or one run baseball, put this team in a position to win, and hopefully they can go out there and get to Zach Granke. A lot of people have been talking about this. Zach Granke, I think, is averaging less than like two strikeouts per nine this year. I mean, it is a comically low number at this point. Granted, this is a guy that is 38 years old. He's been in the league for you know, like yeah. 18 years now at this or, point. it's I don't know the K-9 through nine rate. Um, I don't know his innings total, but it's 14 strikeouts total on the year. So, <laughs> Yeah, so he's, he's pitching to contact. And for a Sox team that likes to put the bat on the ball, this would seem like it should be a good matchup for them. Um. We know they're not going to sit there and try to wait out Zach Rankin. We know that they're just going to be going up there looking to put bat on the ball early and often. So hopefully they can go out there, have a good sound approach, see the ball well off of him, and drive the fucking baseball. This 
this ballpark in Kansas City is one of the biggest, most expansive outfields that you're going to see. Hit the ball in the air. Hit some fucking gaps because there's room to run. The thing is, this team does have guys in the lineup that have good enough speed to go first to third, second home, hit doubles and triples in this ballpark. Let's take advantage of that. If you're not going to hit the ball out of the ballpark, hit some fucking gaps. Hit some doubles, hit some triples, put some runners on base that way. You saw it, Steve. It's amazing how this just, you know, how it correlates here. I mean, it's not it's not rocket science here, but it's Jose Abreu's. It's a gap with that double. Guess what? That's able to clear bases. Jose's able to get two. No problem. No, no even need to slide as he's coming in there. Uh, he's standing up smiling on second base. Uh, AJ Pollock getting a rally going. Granted, uh, it, it faltered due to other reasons, but getting that going because he hits it down the line and then there's room to run, like you said. So it, it's amazing how th- that does it. And it's like we only have those two instances to like pick out. Obviously, we're blessed with La Pantera hitting it over the wall uh, in game one. But I'd like to see more of that. And like you said, if not, find the gaps. Find the gap because there is guys that will be back in the lineup. Tim Anderson, plenty of speed. Gets one down the line. He get it a triple. Yohan Mankata, no doubt about it. I believe his first, uh, one of the first hits of his uh, career was uh, triple uh, Kansas City. So yeah. uh, I, I'm with you. I just want to see driving the baseball. Um, and, man, for, for, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm going to keep saying it. I'd see some walks. I know Grinky's probably not the guy to do it, but I'll just keep pounding it uh, until I finally see it show up. I'd like to see some more walks, too, because then when you do get a guy on the ropes a little bit, have a couple runners on base, uh, that big hit becomes even bigger at that juncture. You are absolutely right. One thing that I personally would like to see, and this is something that has kind of irked me for a little while. And it's funny, Hawk actually used to talk about this. And people love to give Hawk a lot of flack for his homerism and and a lot of the nonsense that would kind of go on towards the end of his career. But one of the points that he used to make all the time that I thought was actually a very salient point was that too many hitters get into a routine in particular with where they are in the batter's box. And they don't adjust off of that. You have a guy like Zach Reiki is not going to blow you away. He's lucky if he's touching 90 miles an hour at this point, he'll go in there. He'll try looping in 60 mile an hour curveballs on you. Get up in the batter's box. Try to take that breaking ball away from him. You get, you, you know, you're going to have the reaction time. He's not going to blow the fastball by you. Even if he's trying to change eye levels, trying to work the fastball off of that slow curveball or some of the secondary offerings, there's just not enough juice there at this point. So get up in the box on that and take some of those off-speed secondary pitches away from him a little bit. If you have to, go up there. Let the ball get a little deeper on you. Drive it into right field. Hit some gaps that way in that, in that right center field gap get some extra bases going, just have a good quality sound approach out there and stop trying to do the same fucking thing, beating the ball into the ground all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. You know what? I would like you talked about uh, moving up maybe a little bit, taking away uh, possibly, you know, some of those uh, very, very slow offerings. How great would it be to see Jose Abreu just golf one of those real slow meatballs and just put it in the fountains out there. I think that would, that would be even, you know, we talked about him having a good start, making steps in the right direction. That's something that Tony and I talked about with this game uh, from the series opener. And then obviously continuing it here uh, in game one of this doubleheader, didn't play game two. I think that would be the next step, really pull shot, launch one. And I think you could do it against Granky, no problem. Yeah, yeah, this would be a great guy to to do that against. And 
that could be a springboard to getting Jose hot. We know that this is a guy, when one comes, usually another one comes shortly thereafter, and they come in bunches with him. So this would be a great opportunity for him to start doing that. You know, you get going here a little bit. You go to the little sandbox in the Bronx, maybe hit a couple of oppo home runs with that little Mickey Mouse short right field porch that you got there. We know yep. he's got the oppo, oppo power to do it. So this, to your point, Johnny, would be a great launching point for him to get the power swing going. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, we can move into picks to click then. Who's getting it done for this uh, Wednesday game against the Royals? So with Zach Granke on the mound, I am going to go with the aforementioned Jose Abreu. So you led me into that one there, Counselor. Perfect. I, I love it. I love when a plan works out like that. All right. Um, Zach Granke on the mound. I am going to go with uh, drumroll. AJ Pollock. I got to get a eased guy that at least I uh, did like the double. I know it's been uh, kind of streaky uh, to date. That's we know we're going to get that out of him here, but shit for once. Let's speak a hot streak start into existence. And uh, last at bat tonight, that's that's a good omen. So I'll I'll roll with that and take AJ Pollock. And excuse me, he may not be in the lineup tomorrow since he played both games of double hunter today. So as my insurance policy behind him, uh, guy that'll be in. Zach Grinke's righty. I'm going back to Gavin Sheets. I believe it took him in game one, but I'm going back there. Talk about a guy who could uh, absolutely golf one. There you go. That's another one. That's another I like candidate. It. So, I like it. Um, all right, Steve, with the final thought, and then we'll sign off for the evening. Coach Ruzic used to say, splitting is a lot like kissing your sister, especially when you do it against a piss-poor team like the Kansas City Royals. It leaves you with a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. So flush this second game pretty poor showing go out tomorrow and bring the fucking whooping sticks out there and put one on Zach Ranky already. Yeah. I would love to see double digits, but I doubt we would possibly get that, but you still have the chance. I, I, I wanted all five. I'm greedy. I wanted all five knew it wasn't realistic, but I wanted it. You still have a chance to get four here. And I think they could, they could with some uh, improved approach uh, tomorrow. They do the things that we had just mentioned here on socks on tap listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back at it again tomorrow night. Steve and Tony will have your post game show after uh, Lucas Juliet over Zach Grinky uh, from the K Steve out there. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at NWI Steve for uh, the live reporting from the ballpark there. Follow us at socks on tap and at on tap Sportsnet for all your white Sox news and updates. Until next time, White Sox forever. For life.